Welcome to this podcast by the Royal College of Anaesthetists. My name is Dr Jamie Strachan and I'm a consultant in anaesthesia and intensive care in Milton Keynes University Hospital. I'm also a member of council at the Royal College of Anaesthetists representing anaesthetists in training, the future of our specialty. Really happy today to be joined by Professor Niels Peake, who's a professor of health informatics at the University of Manchester. Um, and today we're going to talk a bit about data science and artificial intelligence for better healthcare, which was the title of your fabulous talk at Anaesthesia 2021, which was our flagship conference. So, Niels, uh, welcome. And I wonder if you could give us a bit of an overview of um, your area of work. Sure. Thanks, Jamie. And thanks for inviting me uh, to the podcast today. So, yeah, data science and AI for better healthcare. Um, that's an area that actually goes back quite a long way because already back in the 1960s of the previous century, people started thinking about how computers would be able to assist clinicians in, for instance, making better diagnosis. And if you think about that, that makes sense because, you know, diagnosis is really combining a lot of information and computers are pretty good at that. So I would say that's when people started thinking about how we could use computers to do that. And this was also the time when the term AI was first used, I think, in the 1950s, 1960s of the, the last century. So that field has evolved over time. I think... One of the things that also emerged later on, 1970s, 80s, that people are actually not so very good at processing large amounts of information and tend to make all kinds of mistakes and have biases and things like that. So that even made the argument to, to, to try to use computers for that even stronger. So people have been thinking about this for a long time and tried many different things. But I think it's also fair to say that, you know, the use of AI to assist in clinical decision-making in routine clinical care is a rarity. It's not something that exists at the moment, at this moment in time, it's certainly not mainstream. I think in the last 10 years, five to 10 years, the field has expanded very, very quickly, particularly because we have so much more data now, and most of the modern technologies are very much data-driven. We also have some new technologies like deep neural networks that are very good at interpreting um, some kinds of information like images. So I think at the moment, we might be at a turning point. There's lots of investment in the area. And I think we will be seeing many AI applications in healthcare coming true over the next couple of years. Thanks. Yeah, I, I in your talk, you you said that uh, you don't know that much about anesthesia, and, and it seems to be a, a sort of small part of um, the current sort of machine learning, AI registered apps, uh, and you referenced a paper. Um, but uh, I think it's probably an area it's going to grow. As you said, we are very data rich in anesthesia. We gather lots and lots of data points, and we sit monitoring blood pressures and heart rates all the time, um, and it seems only it seems like it won't be long really until we start to say well we should be using this data in a more intelligent way at the moment i guess it's sort of we're not quite there at that point we're still um i, I would say probably the majority of anesthetists in the country are using paper charts to write down their observations right during an operation so 
when we start, as we are across the country, using electronic records and starting to gather that data, do you have a sense of how it will be possible to get that data out? Because I think a lot of people see the hump coming of having to do that, but then don't see the benefits. And I, and if, and I wondered if you could talk a bit about that, so just getting data out of clinical information systems. Yeah, so I think, I hope we will be able to progress that and make it easy for clinicians and researchers to do that. I think there is there are potentially two ways of doing this. And traditionally, we tend to say we need, as you say, we need to get the data out and then bring them to a place like a university where they, the data can be analyzed to develop models, to develop AI. There's also another way to do this. And I think actually that's probably where we are heading, which is bringing the analysis to the data. So the data can stay where they are, which also typically saves us quite a few information governance headaches. And we analyze them as close as possible to source, to the source where they were recorded. And then also try to deploy the models that emerge from it at source, at the source where the data were recorded. I, I personally think that that is where we are heading, then trying always to extract data from clinical systems. Yeah, that that's really interesting. It would be it would be a good good way forward, I think, for anaesthetists to generally a bunch of people that uh, like to understand what's going on in front of them. They're not really that keen on the old black box thing of something goes in and something comes out. So with a new technology such as AI or, or deep neural networks, those sorts of things, anaesthetists in general want to understand how it works. So do you think that we will see more transparency in some of these models and how they work? And and is the current sort of lack of transparency, is that a commercially driven thing? I'm thinking of some of the monitors that might give you a number, but not really tell you much more about algorithms. And it's quite hard to find out these things. Yeah, I think it's, it's a combination of things. So I think looking at the field of machine learning and, and deep learning, I think for a long time, this wasn't really on our radar. So what people focused on, like people from computer science and AI, was trying to build models that were more flexible. So I think deep neural networks are characterized by their flexibility. So if you feed them enough data, they can basically model anything, no matter how complex it is. So that's what people have focused on entirely. And, well, you know, the, the technology became better and better and better at, for instance, classifying things. But we also lost something, and that's the transparency. And it just, it wasn't on people's radar. I think since a couple of years, that has changed entirely, because as we were moving things into clinical practice, you know, clinicians like yourself and others said, we need more transparency. This is not workable, right? If you don't understand where a value is coming from, you can't do anything with it. So I think that's now fully on the research agenda and a lot of work, very good work is being done in that area. So I think it will change. You're right that there is sometimes also an element of, you know, this is our proprietary algorithm and we, we, we don't want to be transparent. And that I think is a slightly different challenge. That's a challenge of regulation and again, we're still very much, I think, at the beginning of a journey there because regulators are not used to AI and still feel quite uncomfortable, I think, with 
regulating digital health technologies. They have to step into it, and I think they're aware of that. And I think we're going to see a lot of that coming through in the next couple of years, including the requirement to be transparent and to provide explainable AI. OK, well, that's really interesting. I hadn't realized that. The other thing I thought was interesting about your talk was the way that you uh, sort of mentioned about the way that AI can exacerbate biases and um, amplify them sometimes. What do you think the answer to that? Is there going to be a change in in what we're asked to do? At the, because often we'll try and get these solutions to fit our current practice. Do we need to sort of change the way we work, do you think, to become less biased at the beginning? Yeah, it's a, I think it's a really wicked problem, to be honest. I think we more or less know what to do in the number of scenarios outside of healthcare. So, for instance, if we use AI to assist in a decision whether or not to give someone a loan, so in, in finance, or whether or not to offer someone a job or at least invite them to interview, and in, in all those kinds of situations, we now know we have to be really vigilant and check carefully whether our AI algorithms are using protected characteristics, as we call them, to make that decision. So use something like ethnicity or gender or anything else that shouldn't be used to make that decision. And, and, and the, 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 the tricky bit is that this can happen without, without, that we, we, without us knowing it. Uh, because those features, those characteristics are only used implicitly via other things that we are using in the algorithm. But I think, I think you know, we've, we've had a wake-up call, I think two, three years ago now, about that. And the community, the AI community has worked really hard to address it. And I think we, we, we're getting there and we know what to do. I think in healthcare, it's, it's a lot more challenging because I don't think that the same kind of biases and prejudices would exist, but we still know for instance, there exist health inequalities. And are those due to some biases that we do have, for instance, as clinicians in our decision-making? We don't know, right? And if, if, if the answer to that question is true, we have to be really, really careful with using AI that would replicate some of those biases. But as long as we actually don't really know whether those biases exist and what they would be, what they are, um, it's harder. So I don't think we've, we've solved this yet. And it's, um, it's, a, it's a wicked problem, I think. Yeah, I, I, I agree. <laughs> so the, uh, apart from the sort of bias side of things, what, what are the other big ethical dilemmas that you kind of see with data science, uh, artificial intelligence and healthcare? And I suppose thinking about anesthesia, but healthcare more, more widely. So, so one of the, um, uh, the big ones is obviously the use of data. And I think over the last 20 years or so, our world has just changed dramatically when it comes to data and also our personal data. And we're still, we're still struggling with that. So I think everyone's uncomfortable with the idea that their personal sensitive data and, and all health data obviously are personal sensitive data would fall into the hands of people that we don't want to see that data. 
at the same time, we want to use the data to improve our decision making, to 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 build AI systems and in, improve um, healthcare. So how do we do that? How do we guarantee that the data is secure and at the same time is shared for good purposes? It's really tricky, I think, to, to do this right. And I think we've seen quite a few examples where it has gone wrong. But I also think that we're very close to technical solutions that will actually do that. So for instance, We've got quite good technologies nowadays to work with synthetic data that are based on real data, but you know, not real that are th themselves not real data from real people, and that would help us to train the AI. And um, with those synthetic data sets, we can do the same things without having to share the sensitive personal data of individuals. So. Uh, as I said, I sort of represent anaesthetists in training, so that's people that are becoming consultant anaesthetists. Many of them will spend the next 30, 40 years as consultants, and the landscape in which they work is going to massively change. I think there's no doubt about that. How it will look is less clear. What would you suggest to people um, to kind of upskill in this area, or at least kind of learn as you go, if you like? You referenced a paper in your talk that said, um, I think it's just, so medical students should learn to basically learn what AI is, be able to explain it and interpret it and probably explain a bit about it as well. So that's a sort of quite a, a neat way of looking at it. How would you take it the ne next step? Well, I think what we need is people like yourself who are who know enough about the technology to understand how we can use it best in clinical practice. And I wouldn't, I think it's hard to overestimate how extremely important that is. So I work myself with a number of clinicians. So for instance, I work actually with an intensive care doctor from Manchester, from Manchester Foundation Trust. Um, I work with a GP, I work with a cardiac surgeon. And it always strikes me how, how much they know about clinical practices I don't know. And particularly about the opportunities for innovation. As an outsider, it's just very, very hard to understand what those opportunities for innovation are, and you quickly get it wrong and you think, oh, it's the, the problem is probably diagnosis. That's what most people coming from a technology angle think. Well, I'm sure as an anesthetist, that's not your main concern at all. Um, so we need people like you to help us explain what the main issue is, where technology can help. And I think you can only do that if you have a reasonable understanding of the technology. You don't have to know everything, but you need to know basically what it works, what it could deliver. And then you um, can have a, 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 a very important role, I think, as an innovator. Yeah, that's a, it's a really interesting point. I think often if you try to read into this area more, you, you just end up with mountains of diagnostics. Uh, image recognition patterns, which is obviously incredibly useful on a huge scale. But what I think a clinician is interested in is clinical decision support. And I think that that's, that's probably where, where you start to <laughs> make our ears prick up a bit. Do you, do you know any good examples of that where, where it's, where it's possible to start to sort of help people make decisions? Yeah, I've seen some examples in critical care that 
I think are, are really interesting that are based on something called reinforcement learning, where basically the AI tries to guide uh, what we call an agent, an agent that is trying to solve a problem and wants to, in order to solve that problem, needs to optimize certain things, but has to carry out a large number of actions to get there. Now, I think if you think about anesthesia, critical care, that's not very different. So you need to typically carry out a large number of actions over time in order to, you know, get your patient where they where they should be. So there is a, a, it's a it's a good metaphor, I think. And so that particular type of machine learning reinforcement learning is is a pretty good fit, actually, for anesthesia and, and critical care. So I would expect uh, or I hope actually that we're going to see more work in that area uh, because I think it's it's very promising and, and more promising than, as you say, all, all the diagnostic stuff. Well, thank you very much for uh, joining me today and um, giving a run through of data science and artificial intelligence in healthcare. And I think you're absolutely correct that it's going to be something that over the next few years becomes very prominent. So uh, hopefully we'll speak to you again. All right, my pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to this RCOA podcast. Make sure you don't miss out on the latest episodes by clicking subscribe on your favourite podcatcher. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you give us a review. It helps others find our podcast. And finally, if you would like to access more podcasts as well as videos, e-learning, webinars and our programme of events and courses, You can find them all online at rcoa.ac.uk forward slash education. We hope to see you again soon. Please note, all views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals and not those of the Royal College of Anaesthetists.